Welcome to Lectionary Mixtape. I'm your co-host, Daniel Eisenberg. And I'm your co-host, Ben Siebert. Each week we're talking about the text, and we are also offering up a special musical offering to add to our mixtape playlist. The texts for this week come from Advent 1, from Year A. Happy New Year, folks. Uh, these, texts, <laughs> these texts include Isaiah chapter 2, verses 1 through 5, Romans chapter 13, verses 11 through 14, as well as the Gospel of Matthew chapter 24, verses 36 through 44. you like me to read the first reading from Isaiah? Go for it. Okay. Uh, first reading comes from Isaiah chapter 2, verses 1 to 5. The word that Isaiah, son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. In the days to come, the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established as the highest of the mountains, and shall be raised above the hills. All the nations shall stream to it. Many people shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, for the house of the God of Jacob, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth instruction and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nations and shall arbitrate for many peoples. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation. Neither shall they learn war any more. O house of Jacob, come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. I don't know why I like this text. There's generically good things in it. I like the, I've, I've always liked the imagery of beating swords into plowshares. I've always liked the uh, idea of nations shall not lift up sword against nation. Neither shall they learn war anymore. And at the same time, uh, I think that some of the things that I enjoy about this is the time of the year that I associate with it. Like this is the beginning of our preparation in Advent. And when I hear these words, I know that we're into something that I that I've often looked forward to. I like Advent a lot. Yeah, it's very it's ridiculous, though, right? Like the whole idea and the whole hope that's expressed here all people gathering together so presumably at peace and getting along right mm -hmm. and end of war and not only that like people have forgotten or they just don't even bother learning war anymore there is no need to be prepared just in case mm -hmm. and i don't know i've been thinking a lot lately about how Christians are called to, or followers of Jesus are called to be fools or to be seen as foolish. Mm -hmm. Like, this is ridiculous. Really? We think that one day the world's not going to have any more war 
no more violence. We're going to take all of our killing implements and turn them into farming implements. Yeah, I do. And, and I know that there's like a significant portion of the world um, outside and even within Christianity that says that's a little ignorant <laughs> like, mm-hmm. to think that this is going to happen. I'm not sure you know how the world works. And I, I don't think we have to fight. I know I'm sitting in a position of privilege. I know I will be one of the ones aching and groaning um, as equality comes to people. I also don't think Mm -hmm. we need to fight. I just don't think it needs to happen. And I think that by the grace of God, we can see a world where these things indeed happen. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's the thing. I think it gets explained away pretty easily and say, oh, this is just about, I don't know, heaven or something. Or if you want to be a little bit more theologically sound, you could say it's after the resurrection, this is what's going to happen. Hmm. And that may very well be the case. But also, what if we actually believed it was possible as part of our waiting and preparation for Christ's return? Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. Um Anything that restricts us uh, to say, let's not try to do this now. Yeah. What's the worst that happens? We make the world a better place. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Whoops. Uh, I always think of um, Through the Looking Glass by Lewis Carroll. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the part where Alice meets the, uh, the White Queen. Mm. And... The White Queen says, I just pulled up the quote here. She says to Alice, I'm just 101, five months and a day. I can't believe that, said Alice. Can't you? The Queen said in a pitying tone. Try again. Draw a long breath and shut your eyes. Alice laughed. There's no use trying, she said. One can't believe impossible things. I dare say you haven't had much practice, said the Queen. When I was your age, I always did it for half an hour a day. Why, sometimes I've believed as many as six impossible things before breakfast. Hmm. I I love that. Like For us as Christians, it's not natural to believe in impossible things, but that's what we're called to do, and it takes some intentionality. Yeah. I always find it interesting where we draw that line. We're more than willing to believe in resurrection, but we're not willing to believe in a world without war. You know? (laughs) It's like, yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm sorry, but life after death seems like the stronger uh, or the lo- longer reach, you know, like, uh, right. It seems foolish if we're willing to believe in life after death, not to believe in life during life, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's in our spiritual DNA to believe in impossible things. That's like what we're made of. Yeah. Uh, for a contemporary example, I know that Shane Claiborne has, I think he has a book coming up uh, and he's been doing this practice for at least a few years now, but uh, getting people to give up their guns and then he's got some sort of a blacksmith metallurgist type of person who brings a little portable forge and they literally remodel the guns to gardening implements Mm. put on uh pruning hooks on them or uh 
little um, things to till the soil to make them a till. It's like really kind of cool. Yeah. And I've always liked that idea, not because I think they make the world's best gardening implements <laughs> using this technique. <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> um, but to see it actually happen, oh, that is possible. And that's remarkably possible, mm -hmm. you know, like instead of just saying like, well, this could never happen. Like, well, now you see a, a firearm and it's a shovel and well, yeah, I can definitely see that happening. And we'll still throw on top of it. Like, well, no one's ever going to give off the, all their guns. And, you know, uh, you know, the culture of, uh, in my context, the United States and everything else that surrounds it. But it seems remarkably possible when you see it. I think it's, it helps to take a step back and you know, as we enter this Advent season, we're thinking a lot about and reflecting on and talking about Christ's return and prepare and our hearts being stirred up. But what, what exactly is our, our hearts being stirred up for and what are we being prepared for and what are we waiting for? And this is just, I mean, this is a big part of it. Mm. This impossible, seemingly impossible hope of peace reigning on earth, all people gathered together at God's mountain and forgetting what war is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and, and so I think the stirring up of our hearts for the Advent promises is <clears throat> present when we read this text in the context of Advent. Excuse me. I think we also have the context of the beginning of Isaiah, the beginning of the book of Isaiah. And this is along with some really harsh words about um, Jerusalem, about the people of uh, Israel. This gets mixed in there. You know, there's there's like there's an honesty about what's happening now and a hope for what God's going to be doing in the midst of this present and for the future. And I think that's what we have in Advent too. Mm -hmm. It's not yeah. just hope for the sake of, you know, warm feelings. It is honesty about the present and hope for the future. Mm -hmm. And so when we're talking about swords into plowshares and when we're talking about um, no longer learning war anymore, I think the reason that those things sound hopeful to us is because there's an incredible amount of violence in the world today. And I think so when we start talking about um, destroying guns and repurposing them and things like that, I think some folks might get defensive for that reason uh, and mm -hmm. thinking, well, I have my guns for a reason. And I think I could I could see a sermon where you even go through why, because you're afraid mm -hmm. that you'll need it for self-defense. And so you're afraid of getting hurt. And so you have a gun in your house in case your property is taken or you or a loved one is harmed. You're afraid of, I, I think that's one of the biggest ones as far as guns for self-defense. To say nothing of hunting, I think that's a whole uh, another thing because this is tied up with war and not hunting. Um, to say that that's the fear that Christ has come to assuage. That's the thing that, that's the world that's been promised as well. That you won't have a reason to even feel like you need to have this weapon of self-defense. Hmm. Yeah, that's the hope that we will actually feel safe with one another. 
Mm-hmm. And what's neat is it's not just people inside the nation of uh, Israel will feel safe with one another. They'll feel safe with one another with people of other nations. They'll feel safe mm-hmm. with one another throughout the whole world. That is both very, very far off. I recognize that people feel incredibly unsafe in the world today. And, <clears throat> you know, even if we were to collect all the guns at this moment, they still wouldn't feel safe in the presence of other human beings. So I know that feels far off. And I still believe that if not for this generation, that for some generation to come, this is possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think we have to believe it is. Yeah. All right. Do you mind if I read this one, Dan? Yeah. Right. Go for it. I mean, no, I don't mind. Go for it. <laughs> what are the two? <laughs> Uh, The second reading comes from Romans chapter 13. Besides this, you know what time it is, how it is now the moment for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we came believers. The night is far gone. The day is near. Let us then lay aside the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us live honorably as in the day. Not in reveling and drunkenness, not in debauchery and licentiousness, not in quarreling and jealousy. Instead, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provisions for the flesh to gratify its desires. I like that image of now's the time to wake up. I think just, I think one way you could do it is to explore how we often view salvation as going to sleep it feels very much Mm. like we're going to close our eyes to this world Mm -hmm. and enter into this fantastical dreamscape uh and salvation isn't about escaping this world it's about being woken up to the possibilities of what it's like with god's presence there yeah i gotta admit like as we wake up to the possibilities, I think many of us disagree on some of the content here and then on either side of this pericope in chapter 13 and early 14 on what good order looks like. What are we even aiming for? And so inside mm-hmm. this pericope, we have words like, um, you know, reveling and drunkenness, debauchery and licentiousness, quarreling and jealousy. I think many of us would probably be able to find some kind of common ground on defining quarreling and jealousy. All the rest of them, I think we have a huge debate on inside culture. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, because some, some people look at the actions of another person and one will say they're celebrating, the other will say that's reveling in drunkenness and debauchery and licentiousness. (laughs) and we just all kind of look at each other um sometimes fighting with each Mm other i i think for me how you figure out what paul is getting at here and what paul is warning against is to look a few verses back and paul's talking a lot about love Uh, verse 8 chapter 13 verse 8 oh no one anything except to love one another Uh, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. If your celebration is um, 
if your celebration is a is causing your neighbor harm is causing you to neglect those that are in your care is making people feel bad about themselves is leading people into temptation and all of that then it is not just celebration it is reveling mm -hmm. uh if your drinking is uh causing you to destroy your own life is making you um not be able to fulfill your duties and your calling as a christian to love and serve others then it's not just social drinking it's drunkenness like i think it how it affects our neighbor is the big thing and how it hurts ourselves and neighbor i think that's how we can figure it i agree what uh i think we also need to lift up though are people that have historically been the brunt of um of sometimes a misuse of things like this. What's good for the community is for you to not be who you are. What's good for the community is for you to conform mm -hmm. to me. And so I think we have a significant portion of the population who will hear these texts and say, I don't really trust what authority defines uh, or tells us to do. I don't really trust what the community says is good and bad because it seems to leave me outside the bubble and love doesn't seem to be there for me mm -hmm. as we're going about this. Yeah. And I think reading on to 14 gets into that as well might be a help to remedy those kind of situations where you've got this whole thing about those who are quote unquote weak and quote unquote strong in the faith. Like if you're, if what you eat and drink and do causes your neighbor harm, then refrain from doing it if it's not essential to the faith. And I think oftentimes we have our pride and the right way of doing things, and it ends up becoming a barrier and a harm to those that are just trying to be a part of the community. Mm. I think with these complexities, um, especially at the beginning of Advent, when we're asking for us to put on light and, you know, live uh, in, the, mm -hmm. in the armor of Christ, it is also important to realize that the way that we have understood that before might not be the way that we understand it this Advent or for Advents coming into the future. Mm -hmm. It might not be, let's continue to go into traditional ways of telling parts of our population that you're wrong and that you're bad because of who you are. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think also just a word of warning for advent in general but also since this brings up uh, verse 12 about laying aside the works of darkness oftentimes we oftentimes we equate darkness with bad light with good mm -hmm. and i can see that but at the same time that is also difficult if that is part of your identity in particular your skin color and like the color of your skin, you compare it to sin or evil or the absence of God's love and mercy or wrongdoing and all of that and just something to be aware of and to get a little flexible with your vocabulary to try and communicate the same point, but not with words that will harm neighbor. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but we do use light and darkness. Um, especially inside the U.S., but I think inside of our language as well, we've come to associate it with a color. 
And I'm not sure that's always mm-hmm. useful. Like you said, um, I think, you know, words like seen and unseen um, or hidden uh, versus not hidden. I don't know. Um, there's lots of different ways of talking about mm-hmm. um, what I what it seems to be clearly talking about, uh, which isn't an issue of color. It's an issue of I, I like seen and unseen, even though that that has its own pitfalls. Yeah, language is tough. It is. But it's it's worth the effort. It's worth the effort. It's also worth recognizing that it is imperfect. We mm-hmm. will try to do our best and we will always fall short. And then we will try to do it again to expect this process to look differently. We will be perfect at one point. <laughs> is maybe having an unfair assumption on the task. The um the things of God that we're putting on compared to uh you know the licentiousness and drunk uh drunkenness and everything else uh that's contained in here, the counterpoint feels like, at least inside of the pericope, what Isaiah is talking about. What we just got done talking about in the first reading. The goal is inside the love that you pointed to in kind of verses 8 through 10 in Romans 13. The goal in Isaiah to be able to trust one another in each other's presence, to be able to live with one another, to be at peace mm-hmm. with one another. And to put these things on, to make these our ultimate goal, instead of self, uh, instead of making our sole goal correcting one another, our sole goal arguing with one another, which also gets <laughs> dismissed in Romans 14, to make our ultimate goal peace with one another, living with one another graciousness with one another that is a much different goal Hmm. and i think there's an irony in all of that too the fact that paul calls it an armor of Hmm. light and there's a vulnerability that comes with doing what you just said and loving others and establishing trust and serving one another it's putting another's needs before your own um and it's just kind of funny. Like the thing that we protect ourselves is by opening ourselves up to others. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Our best good is found in our best weakness. Mm. I like that. All right. Let's uh, move on to Matthew 24. Shall I read this one? You shall. I shall. Okay, Matthew 24, verses 36 through 44. Jesus said, But about that day and hour no one knows, neither the angels of heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. For as the days of Noah were, so will the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day Noah entered the ark, and they knew nothing until the flood came and swept them all away so too will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two will be left and be in the field, and one will be taken and one will be left. Two women will be grinding meal together. One will be taken and one will be left. Keep awake, therefore, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But understand this. If the owner of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have left his house to be broken into. Therefore, 
you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an unexpected hour. I think we cover a lot of ground on this one and also cover very little. Um, because Jesus, in whatever wisdom there is here, seems to use like three different methods for saying the same thing in a very short amount of time. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, it, yeah yep. it, inside those different methods, uh, whether talking about, um, you know, the, the specific day outright, uh, whether talking about Noah, whether talking about the two by twos, um, which kind of, at least there's a little connection there or, uh, uh <laughs> or talking about the, uh, the thief. Overall, 44 caps us with readiness uh, and the arrival of the Son of Man. Yeah. And I think the the question on my mind, and I suspect others, would be, what does that readiness look like? How do you get ready for the end of the world? Or how do you get ready for the return of Christ and the judgment of all peoples? <laughs> yeah. So the, the question of how do you get ready for the return of Christ, the end of the world, the judgment of the nations, that whole thing. And I think a lot of people will hear this and think, I need to get my life in order. I need to. And what that means is I need to eradicate all sin in my life. Uh, I need to make myself holy and acceptable before God. And that means, um, I mean, really, it gets to the idea of purging ourselves of our sins. It's a self-induced purgatory, if you will, to make ourselves worthy. Um, And I don't think it's quite that legalistic. It doesn't seem to be. Um, And you can kind of pull from some of the other texts and talk about the law of love and serving our neighbor and working for those impossible things of beating swords and spears and guns and stuff into gardening implements. Hmm. Uh, I think it's, it's bigger than that. It's about living our lives here and now and living into that world to come, not trying to earn our way into it. Yeah. Um, I think verses 40 and 41 make it feel legalistic, though. No, I shouldn't say that. We turn verses 40 and 41 into legalism, though. Um, Mm -hmm. Like we see one person seem to disappear and one person still there. And whether or not we figure out the one person who disappeared or the one person who's still there um, is a good place to be. Uh, It seems to be that there's some kind of selection happening. And so what do we do? You know, what, what, what do we do when, and then ultimately all those, what do we do's make us try to seize control of the situation. And then we turn to legalism for that. And then we just kind of ignore the grace and love of God as we're frantically trying to avoid whatever is happening in those two verses. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think the the fear is to buckle down and focus on yourself. It it becomes this eternal damnation motivated Mm self-help thing. And I don't think that's what Jesus is doing. No, I I don't think so either. Um, I think 
you know, this is chapter 24 in chapter 25. Uh, eventually we're going to have the famous sheep and the goats thing. We talked about that a few weeks ago mm-hmm. too. Um, but ultimately I still believe that what's happening there is not a recipe for salvation or for self salvation. Um, but ultimately the recipe there is for knowing what God is up to and mm. where we might be able to follow God too. And so this being awake and being aware uh, that gets talked about in this particular pericope is pay attention. You know, it it is not mm-hmm. a salvific command, but it is a command, you know? Yeah. It's pay attention, but not to say, to try and determine when exactly it's going to happen and how exactly it's going to happen and who gets saved and who doesn't. And, it's helpful that Jesus specifically warns against that at the beginning, mm-hmm. um, because I think that can lead to self-righteousness that can lead to um, a lot of fear and anxiety as well as you're trying to interpret the signs and wondering if you're ready or not. It's like, no, just always be ready. Just make that a part of who you are. It's how you live and breathe um, to believe that, you know, to, to harken back to what we were talking about in Isaiah, to believe in impossible things, to love our neighbor and to serve as Christ has served us. That's just part of who you are rather than trying to time it just right. So that way, when Jesus comes back, um, you know, what, what's the bumper sticker that I've seen? You know, Jesus is coming. Everybody look busy. <laughs> um, thank- <laughs> yeah. That's not what we're to do. Uh, so when I was in junior high, uh, I was over at a friend's house and he turned to me and he said, what do you want to have for lunch? And he said, you know, we've got macaroni and cheese. You want macaroni and cheese? And I said, sure. Sounds great. And he then started walking toward the back door, walked outside I followed him outside, which I thought was weird. I would think he would get the macaroni and cheese from the cupboard Mm. in the kitchen. And he opened up a shed back there and there just lining every available space were all kinds of canned goods. And I don't know, about 400 boxes of macaroni and cheese. Mm. And this all happened in February of 2000. Oh, yeah. When everyone was worried about Y2K, <laughs> yeah, like all the computers are going to freak out and society's going to end and yeah. all of that. And his family took that as a lot. And I think that I, I like that as an image of when we are being in this perpetual state of expectations, we're not bunkering down and just trying to care for ourselves and shut out the rest of the world and worry about our own survival. That's this call to open up and serve others and to, you know, much more like February of 2000 than December of 1999 to share our macaroni and cheese. Mm. Yeah. If we're no longer worried about a threat of, you know, something terrible is going to happen to us. um, We're a lot more likely to share, aren't we? Mm-hmm. And I think, I think it's okay for the, you know, 
the day of the son of man to be coming at an unexpected hour and to not say that it's going to be terrible. Yeah, I think it, it leads us into the question of why. Why is that how things are going to be done? You know, we, we confess in the Apostles' Creed that I believe who will come to judge the living and the dead. Mm-hmm. Why can't it just be that we die and we go to heaven? Our souls go to heaven, the end. Why does there need to be a judgment? Ultimately, I think that we have several signs of a judgment. And so I'm not sure we're placing that into the text um, or into the overarching gospel unfairly. I also think that um, what we are leaving out of that judgment is God. (laughs) Often we rush to take the place (laughs) of the judge or anticipate the judge Mm -hmm. or, you know, speak for the judge. God's going to do what God wants to do. Mm-hmm. And if there's one thing that this text tells us is that we're probably not going to be able to predict it. And I think it lets God be God in this case. Mm-hmm. We don't have to, like you're saying, we don't have to be the judge. And I think that can be a relief. Like evil and wrongdoing and oppression and exploitation and all of that, that needs to be addressed. We need to know that that won't thrive, that that's unacceptable. And it's not completely up to us to handle it on our own. It's not up to us to make the call ultimately of who is right and who is wrong. We can do our reverent best guess. We can do all that we can, but there is this promise that there will be help and there will be a a final judgment when everything's going to be set right. Yeah. But that's also not an excuse to sit back and do nothing and just kill time until then. Mm-hmm. That's where that expectation is. Yeah. It's kind of the difference between, and this might not be helpful at all, but I'm going to take a shot. I, I've been to a few surprise parties in my time. Um, not many, but a few. And, um, <laughs> and there's two different, like there's always a moment before this person being surprised walks in where someone runs around and says, everybody get ready. (laughs) But but what leads up to that and what teaching is around that results in two very different moments. One where no one has said anything about what we're supposed to be doing. And we all just stand there a little bit anxious thinking, were we supposed to do something? And so we all kind of scatter. We all do something, but there's been no instruction on what's supposed to happen. And then we're all, we all just wind up milling around at the edges of whatever space that we're in. So when the person walks in, it looks like kind of a generally empty area. And then we're all yelling surprise with like half of our backs to that person. <laughs> now, yep. now the flip side of this is like, if we have said, a few things about what we would desire to take place. If we have said, you know, we're, we'd like to surprise them or we're going to shut the lights off or everybody find a hiding spot or, you know, just everybody yell surprise. We can be on a generically same page where when that person yells, everybody get ready. 
half the time we all just kind of face the door <laughs> and put on smiles. So when the person walks in, it's a full room and everybody else surprised and like, Hey, surprise. Mm-hmm. I think there's a difference here. When we divorce this text from all the rest of what Christ is trying to teach us, a care for the poor, a care for the orphan, a care for the uh, people whose lives are unduly hard, and the grace and mercy of God given to the ungrateful and the wicked, as well as the ones who are suffering. Mm-hmm. When we divorce this text from that, we basically turn into the first surprise party where we're all running in a lot of different directions. We have no idea what we're trying to do. We're just trying to do something. But when this text is with the rest mm-hmm. of those, we have an understanding of what Christ is doing. And we can have a little bit of assurance in walking the direction that Christ is going, not because we think it saves us, because this time is coming, whether or not we are ready, but because we'd like to be facing the right direction. You know, Ben, that reminds me of a song. Nice. Do you mind if I go first? Yeah, I think it's your turn. Awesome. Uh, The song that I found myself thinking of um, comes from Our Lady Peace again, uh, and it's uh, called Starseed. Um, And the chorus uh, gets stuck in my head every once in a while. Um, And I I kind of find an Adventish theme to it. So the the chorus goes, uh, when I find out what went wrong or what went on, I'll bring it back, but it won't be easy. They won't believe how a man can drown in the stars. find, uh, while there's certainly not a one-to-one correlation, uh, I find that that we have this tension in the callings of the text where we are indeed called to figure out what's going wrong and bring it back. And it's not going to be easy. Mm. And also, there is a disbelief from some of the people around us in, in both what is going wrong and what our hope can be. And so I think in the in the course of this song, it's also just kind of an aggressive song that, you know, sings and yells and screams and all that kind of good stuff. Um, but I think in the course of the song, we we have this real energized sense that there is something that's going to happen. And also there's a tension about it happening. And no matter what, we can't prevent its arrival. Hmm. I love that. It's inevitable. It's coming. Mm-hmm. We, we can talk about it. We can rail about it. We can sing about it. It's coming. My track for the mixtape this week is Wake Up by Jenny Owen Youngs. Hmm. And I like this song a lot because, you know, sticking with that waking up theme that comes in uh, two out of three of the readings for today of getting ready and addressing the day to come. 
the first verse goes, make way for the new time, can't wait on the sidelines, making promises you don't understand to people who aren't listening, but no one is going to tear my hand away. Uh, I can't look back and I can't look away. I can't look away. fun song and Jenny Owen Young's is just there's a lot of good toe tapping type of things and just yeah we're just gonna get ready for this new time hmm. yeah I think that's one of my favorite parts of Advent is it it's a time of preparation but it's not necessarily a time of silence mm-hmm. some some of the silence is there some of the silence is good and needed but sometimes we go running straight into it, hoping for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's an active waiting. Yeah. Yeah. Well. well. <laughs> <laughs> That's going to do it for us over here at Lectionary Mixtape. We will see you all next week as we look at the text for the second Sunday of Advent. Thanks for spending some time with us. And I look forward to talking over the text with you next week. Take care. Bye.